Good morning. Would you stand? Your Bible's open in Exodus 33. We're actually going to take chapter 33 through 34, verse 10. We'll go through it. Uh, I want to talk this morning about finding grace. So I'm going to read some of the verses, just walk a little bit through 33 through 34, verse 9. We'll do a, uh, a responsive reading from Psalm from the Psalms that has a lot of Exodus 33 in it, and then we'll get into it. So here we go. Exodus 33 and verse 1. I'm reading from the King, New King James. If you have a different version, just follow along. Then the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. Verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Look at verse 17. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Verse 21. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. Verse Chapter 34, verse 5. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Verse 8, chapter 34. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. So Psalm 103, I'll read the first and odd verses. If you would join together and read the second and even through this whole psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. As we're reading, just take it in. This is so packed. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. Whereas the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. children. 
The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. So, Lord, we say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. We, Lord, read these things in your word. We hear of these things. And we, Lord, it elicits from us this overwhelming awe of who you are, eternal, immortal, invisible, all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere present, who loves us. You love us, Lord. And you've provided for a relationship with you for us as sinners to enter into and grow in and enjoy. And then, Lord, I think of the hope set before us, that this life is but a vapor, even as we read. These years pass by as, as a, just a, a vapor. But that doesn't end. It begins our, <laughs> so shall we ever be with you, Lord. So we worship you. We, we enter your gates with thanksgiving, your courts with praise. And, Lord, I'm asking that you take the things that I've prepared, break them fresh, and feed us. We are hungry to know you, the only true God. We're hungry, Lord, to enter in and know your grace and your mercy and your loving kindnesses and all these things, that you would radically change us so that then, Lord, you can, our lives become those instruments through which you can do the work you want to in every person in our lives. So bless this time in your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So three things in finding grace. Uh, this is an outline for us. Stay in fellowship, get rested, and stand by. <laughs> and that stand by is, okay, stand by, and we're going to see this. It's a beautiful picture of the intimacy that God had with Moses and how he said there, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. Then he says, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. And that's the standby as far as this finding grace. There are three marked passages in the Bible that speak about finding grace. The first one we find is in Genesis chapter 6 where it says, So the Lord said, I will destroy whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. That's an anthropomorphic statement expressing God in that he created all things perfectly, and man really messed it up. And we have a, we're good at that. <laughs> and the world, the hearts of men were continually evil. And so God was going to destroy, but it says there, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So God spared the world by grace. Then we get Exodus 33 and 34, what we're looking at. But Jeremiah mentions this in Jeremiah 31, 1 and 2. At the same time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. This is the promise right from the beginning. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when I went to give him rest, and he said to Moses, I will give you rest. The final place in the Bible is in Hebrews chapter 4, where the believer finds grace where? At the throne of grace. And so we read there, seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us. He lived a perfect life, became our great high priest through the cross and the shedding of his blood. Let us therefore, he says, let us hold fast our confession. But then he says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mercy must precede grace. Mercy of preceding grace, and when we, have, when God, when we realize the merciful God, how merciful God has been to us, the propitiation is the mercy of God provided for us through the sacrifice in appeasing the wrath of God. The mercy of God was released toward us. We didn't get what we deserved. Would you say amen? amen. We did not get what we deserved. God has not dealt with us according to our iniquities, but by mercy and then the grace of God toward us, the grace of God, an acronym is God's riches, G-R-A, at Christ's expense. So grace is God providing for us to satisfy his wrath, thus his mercy is released toward us, and now we walk in the grace of God. Finding grace. So Hebrews there, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So stay in fellowship. Stay in fellowship with God. He is the source of grace. So Moses says, therefore, I'm praying twice. I pray, I pray. That's fellowship with God. Moses had intimate fellowship with God. And he, as you read through these, most of the accounts in the Bible, but this one particularly, just to point it out, Moses said, Moses said, and then the Lord said. And then Moses said, and then the Lord said, and the Lord said, and, the Lord, and he spoke. And, and so he has this continuous dialogue that's going on with the Lord. That's fellowship with God. S just talking to God. Bringing God into the conversations. So my question to begin that I ask myself is, I'll ask you, how is your fellowship with God? How is your ongoing dialogue with God? Is he a part of your processing everything? When the Lord comes in by the Holy Spirit, our great counselor, you can always talk to God. Aren't you thankful for that? He wants to be a part of the conversation of your heart in the things that you go through, in the things that I go through. So the Lord said to Moses, depart and go from here. Now, God is answering his, his prayer in chapter 32 where it says, he says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self. and said." So remember last week, he's interceding for Israel. Remember, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. It's God's promise. So as we get in chapter 33... And he says, the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your descendants, I will give it. And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, and the hippie would say, out of sight. <laughs> go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Now, that's not very easy to hear. But you know when God says it, it's true. It's true. And so the people were out of fellowship with God. So we read, and when the people heard this bad news, that's good news when you hear what God says and realize it's bad news because now you're hearing the truth. 
And there can be no real restoring of fellowship without the truth. And so, you're st- and so the people heard it was bed, and they mourned, and no one put on his gar- armaments, ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. This is serious stuff. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. The people were mourning in repentance. The door to the mercy and grace of God is repentance. Acknowledging the truth about my fellowship with God, my relationship with God. And so when repentance is genuine, Paul called it godly sorrow leaves no regret. When there's repentance, when there's mourning, when there's realizing, this is what God said about where I'm at, my heart, stiff neck. When that happens and I come to it and there's godly sorrow, Paul said it leaves no regret. In fact, it clears the conscience. It clears the heart. And we realize that the door back to God is in acknowledging that truth, repenting, and he will receive me again. To himself. That's awesome. That's grace. And so in 1 John, in chapter 1, verse 3, it says, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Brothers and sisters, you know, in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. The psalmist said that. When we're not in fellowship with God, We may not even be aware, but our joy is going to be stripped out from under. There may be happy moments, but the joy of being in fellowship with God, and in that comes fellowship with each other, is fantastic. So stay in fellowship with God and with people. So he says, and these things write to you, join me full. Then he says, verse 5, this is the message which we have heard from him, capital H, God, and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with God, with him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So this is truth. Here's the truth again. When we're walking in darkness, we're lying. When we're walking in sin, when we're walking, when we're walking away, that is just sort of ignoring the light, trying to sort of run from the light. But he says, "But I, in the Bible, when it says but, sometimes it's the greatest, and sometimes it's the worst. This is the this is a good one. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light." We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Say amen. What does it mean to walk in the light? It does not mean to walk perfectly. (laughs) There's no such thing as sinless perfection this side of the redemption of our bodies. It means I'm going to walk in the truth. I'm going to walk and let the things be exposed that God's truth will expose. And it will expose them if I will allow myself to, to, to humble myself and allow God to speak to me when I'm in fellowship. To bring you back to fellowship with him. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not. So it's kind of foolish to say, no, the best thing to do is say, yeah, I'm stiff-necked. Yes, I did that. Yes, I lied. Yes, I, whatever it is. And do that when the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes as believers. 
is to draw us to that place where God can speak into our lives again his forgiveness, his mercy, his grace through my repentance, and I leave changed again, free again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wow. This is ours through the gospel. It's ours through what Christ did for us. It's not something we're trying to work up emotionally. It's something that God has settled spiritually and forever through Christ for us to have fellowship with him. So then he says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. This truth is not in us. But then he says, my little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate of the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the substitute propitiation for all of our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What Jesus accomplished for anyone who wants to come and have fellowship with God. Wants to be restored by God, saved by God. So Paul wrote to the Romans, moreover, by the way, this, this, this whole first point on stay in fellowship is where we're spending most of our time this morning because the others flow out of it. So Romans chapter 5, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace superabounded, literally. So where there's sin, there's grace, it superabounds. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I say, reign on. <laughs> Let that sin be taken care of where it has to be taken care of in confession and repentance before God at the cross, applying the blood and saying, praise the Lord. Thank the Lord. It's through righteousness imputed to us by faith in Christ. I do not stand on my own righteousness. I was not saved on my own righteousness, but through, the, through faith in Christ. So then he says, going into chapter 6 of Romans, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Literally, it means, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Perish the thought. It does, it's not congruent with being a believer. It's not congruent with being saved by the blood of Christ. These, these things are, are opposite. The desire of the Holy Spirit and our lives as being born again by the Spirit of God. So how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. That is finding grace, to walk in the newness of life. So when we baptize someone, which we will on Easter, and I hope if you haven't been baptized, you will be because it's a commandment. It's really, really important. It's a part of you can, your, your, your testimony that this new old life of yours, so when we, bear, when we baptize, we put you under the water, and that pictures the burying of that old life. And as I say, I probably say it then too because I like it. Some of you have to be held under a lot longer. <laughs> but we won't wait for the bubbles to come up, okay? <laughs> but God gave, just like communion, which we're going to do this morning, just like these emblems, it's a reminder to us. And God knows we have to be reminded. That's why a testimony as far as baptism and you being baptized is not just for you, but so that people see and they're reminded and your friends see and they're going, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. Your old life was buried in Christ. 
That old life was put away. All the sin. So any man who's in Christ is a new creation. The old things have, behold, all things have become great. It's awesome to think of this. So Paul's saying, shall we continue in sin that grace may, oh man, I'm saved. I'm just going to go sin my brains out. Oh, this is okay. God's okay. No, no, no. That's not grace. First, there has to be mercy and grace. And understanding mercy is understanding what I really deserve. And when I come to God and I realize this holy, infinite, eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God provided for my forgiveness and my, the, the clearing of my sin before him so that the old life is gone. Kevin is buried. Old Kevin is Well, I'm old, but I'm, he's buried. <laughs> and to be reminded, I hope this morning, as I encourage you, be reminded of that. Paul said, forgetting those things that are behind. You know what he was forgetting? Not only the bad life, but he had trophies measured up on his walls. Diploma after diploma. He was a Pharisee, the Pharisee. He was like, he had made it as far as the world's concerned, as far as Judaism. Paul was the man. He said, that stuff is rubbish. Because he never knew God. So he had all that education, all that stuff, all that heritage, and he says, that's rubbish. I can't all rub. I'm putting it in the trash can because that never led me to Christ. What led me to Christ was when Jesus arrested him and said, why are you persecuting me? Saul, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. He said, I never met you before, but what you're saying is because I'm persecuting your people, I'm persecuting you. Is that right? I'm, I'm kind of reading into it, okay? And what he realized is that Jesus loved these people that he hated. Jesus loved these people who were claiming him as Messiah when he, Paul Saul said, no way. And then he realized <laughs> Jesus loved him. And he said in his epistle, he said, I used to persecute the church. I used to kill the church. I was like a, literally, I was like a dog shaking its, its prey and killing it. He was vicious. And dog, Jesus comes and says, Saul, look, you need to get something together here. And he said, you're persecuting me. And it broke him. He leaves blinded for three, hour, for three days. Ananias comes to him and says, the Lord Jesus sent me to you. And Ananias said, the Lord said, I said go, go to Paul. Go to Saul. Now, hold on a second, Lord. This guy's killing us. You want me? Go to Saul. Behold, he prays. He's praying. We can take and incorporate into our relationship with God that kind of intimacy in personal, individual calling to your life and saying, you're persecuting me. Saying you need Savior. Saying you need forgiveness. That's the grace of God. Paul said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I've been going over his testimony, which he did several times. And so Moses, verse 7, took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle. Now, this is not the tabernacle which is to be built. This is a special tent that Moses set up outside the camp, far from the camp, so that whoever wanted to could go seek the Lord. It came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. In other words, they made the trek to get to that tent to spend time with God. 
And then we read, So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses, fellowship. All the people saw the pillar standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. The people saw when Moses went out. And it's like this holy standstill in the camp. Now Moses didn't go out there, hey, you know, hey, hey I'm, going to, I'm going to have fellowship with God. <laughs> Starts making the trek. Didn't even cross his mind. Because for Moses, isn't anything about Moses boasting like, I got what you don't. No, he realized and he went out there with a heart filled with the fear of God. His mind and heart broken in humility that he gets to go have fellowship with God. And the people would watch that. Whenever that happened, the whole camp would be in their tent doors. And you can get the holy moment in it. He's going out. Jesus said this. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites for they have to pray. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. It ruins fellowship with God. It steals the blessing of fellowship with God. It steals the rewards of fellowship with God in that secret place. And Jesus went on to say, Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So when we're doing things to be spiritually, to look so spiritual, hmm. By the way we pray, and you know, in my early years, I tried to be so flowery so that everyone would hear my spirituality. And you know what God said? Enjoy it, it's all you get. Ooh. You see, the applause of men is so fickle and so fleeting. Ooh. But oh, to have the attention of God. To be in the presence of God. To have his presence over it. And there we are, alone with God. So he says, so when you pray, shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father, listen, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. People will see what God has done in your life though they know nothing of where you've been to meet with them. That's the fruit. That's the fruit. That's the blessing. That's the reward. That my, and how many of us in knowing the Lord understand that? To, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'd rather be transformed by looking Jesus face to face in fellowship with God than, than any of these things that we're working on. They're all fleeting and they're all like Paul said, there's just trap. You can gain all those things, but what about your relationship with God? What about time with God? What about the work that God wants to do in a secret place in your life and my life by just being with him and spending time with him? And so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. 
It's like, wow. Moses said, I'm not going to miss one of those meetings. And Joshua said, neither am I. I'm going to just stay here. And, and so this whole, the, the question I have for you as for me also, is time with God for you too far away? Where's the place? Is time with God outside your schedule? Are you making time to be with God? You see, from whom all blessings flow. Where we're finding grace, it's in the presence of God and from him who is the source of all mercy and grace. That's where we find grace, in fellowship with him. Is time with God on your schedule? Well, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Oh, it's very spiritual. I'll tell you why. The devil would like to never have it on your calendar. You're in a spiritual battle. There's always something else. And I know this very well. I'm, I'm a driven doer. But oh, to have that measured time schedule with a plan. God speaks. God speaks. However that works for you. I would also add to you dads and moms and grandmas and grandpas, and I'm one of both of those, not all four. Are there any like these holy moments in the minds of our children? Because though they're unseen, they can see in your life what God's doing. They can see in your life that you spend time with him. They may even see you doing it, which I think is fantastic. Charlotte grew up and her mom and dad faithfully every morning sat down, read the Bible, and prayed together. I didn't have that example. Do your children know that you spend time with God? I'll tell you this. They'll know when you don't. <laughs> right? I mean, it's, yeah, I don't need to tell you why, okay? Here's another question for you, and I think it's an important one, particularly in what we're going through. Is spending time with believers on your schedule? Or does it feel like it's too far a trek to get to church or get here, get there? You see, Hebrews tells us, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together and so much more as you see the day approaching. Then he goes here, for if we sin willfully, after having received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. What he's saying, when we're out of fellowship with believers, where our fellowship with the Lord is also enhanced, when we're out of fellowship, it gets easier and easier to drift and sin. You with me? I think we all take these things to heart because they're always challenged. So what about your trek? To church? What about your trek to a small group, a support group, whatever it might be? You see, unless these things are on the schedule, unless these things are a commitment that we make with our family, listen, it's not going to happen. It takes a commitment. It takes a commitment. And God will honor that commitment. So Moses went out. A couple other thoughts on this. It's always really hopeful. Because Moses went out to that. You know what Moses was talking about with 
to God about in that, in that tent? <laughs> you can read it. Man, these people you gave me, they are a mess. And there's this, 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 this. And they're causing trouble here and they're rebelling here. And they're, you know, they got an anarchy going here. And they've got a coup well set up. And Moses dealing with this. Where did he deal with it? Well, obviously in real life. But he dealt with it in his meetings with, in his meetings with God. And any of us who have any kind of responsibilities understand our need for God. That when we're in these situations, we need God. So what's curious to me is I'm very hopeful when someone says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Does that not encourage you? Someone says, I'm praying for you. And that is so powerful. In fact, as I was preparing this message, I had this there's something new and compelling that came out of a passage that I've read many times. A passage on prayer. And as I'm reading it, and this closes out a book in the New Testament, the last two verses struck me very differently, and it encouraged me. I'm still, I'm still sort of mulling it over, but the passage is in James. And James writes this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespass to one another. Here it is. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain in the land for three years. So Elijah says, uh, hey, Lord, would you just stop the rain for three and a half years? Now, you ever prayed that? It would be an absolute miracle if it ever happened here. <laughs> but it's saying, Elijah was just like you are and just like I am. He wasn't coming in with some, you know, sort of resume of how wonderful a man he was. And No, Elijah was a man like ours, and he prayed, and it, it stopped raining for three, and he prayed again. And what happened? The rain, it says there, Elijah was a man, and it, and he prayed again, hold on. Yeah. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced. So what he's saying is, Elijah prayed. People are sick, pray. People have trouble, pray. People need repentance, pray. Pray, pray, pray. And then these last two verses, I had never really connected these to prayer, though it connects beautifully. The next two say this. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, how? Prayer. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. I'd never connect that. Yes, we would go talk to him and help them, but prayer, pray. You might not think you have any power in heaven. Elijah was just a guy like you, human like all of us. And he prayed and God did it. How much more does he want to turn a soul back to himself? You better believe it. It trumps reigning for three years or not reigning. He wants to reign down in their lives in repentance and restoring fellowship with him. How? By fervent, earnest prayer. I hope that encouraged you. Encourage me. Who do you know? And I know that we know, yes, we pray for them. But I'm looking at this and going, wow, Lord, turning a sinner from the air of his way, saving a soul from death, pray, pray, pray. Don't stop. Pray. And then pray again and pray again. So Moses says, ask two things, show me your way, verse 13, where is it, there it is, 
Uh, show me now your way that I may know you and you know, I may find grace. So he says, I just, I just need to know you, Lord. I need to know you. He says, show me your glory. Listen, to be in fellowship with God, it becomes more and more, is to become more and more concerned about the glory of God, not ourselves. Not me or you, but the glory of God. Psalm 115, not unto us, O Lord, but unto you be the glory. To your name give glory because, look at, of your mercy, because of your truth. To be in fellowship with God is knowing the strength in seeing the glory of God. The psalmist said, when I, when I consider the heavens, the work of your hands, the moon and the stars that you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him? The heavens declare the glory of God. You go out, you know, I'm not really much of a nature guy. I mean, I appreciate the mountains and all that stuff, but you got to drive to see him. I mean, just... I, I just don't like driving. <laughs> I'll tell you what. For me, it's when I'm sitting in the dark outside. Lights are not there, and I can just look up <laughs> and see the glory of God and realize, what is man? You're mindful of him. I see the heavens you've made, the moon and stars, the fingers you've ordained. I see all that stuff, and then I'm sitting there in this vast universe, looking up stars and all that stuff. And I'm thinking, here I am sitting on this hill, and, and you think of me? I'm on your mind, I'm on your heart. That's the glory of God to us. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, therefore, since we've received this ministry, received mercy, we do not lose heart, for it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give, give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, looking up there, but to look in the face of Jesus and realize the glory of God for me. His love for me. Warren Wearsby said, the best remedy for a broken heart is a new vision of the glory of God. How does that happen for you? I don't know. But the heavens declare the glory of God. Giving declares the glory. There are many ways in which. So stay in fellowship, brothers and sisters. Stay in fellowship with God. Stay in fellowship with one another. I'm going to stay here another moment again. If I can add just to the thoughts that I've had on this. Moses had one request of God that he kept asking him over and over and over again. And he kept saying, God, God, God. Because in Numbers chapter 20, when Moses, God said to Moses, go to the rock that you struck last time and speak to the rock and water will come out. So Moses, in his anger at the people, in his state of emotional stirred up, he goes out there with that rod and he says, wham, you rebellious people. And he strikes the rock. And water came out just like God said, but God said, uh, hey, Mo, <laughs> I got to talk to you. You misrepresented me. I told you to speak to the rock. The rock was smitten once. I've taken care of that. Speak to the rock. Picture of Jesus. Smitten once. And now God's love for us is demonstrated through that. And he says, just speak to the rock. But Moses' anger misrepresented God and struck it. So God said, hey, Mo, <laughs> you, you can't go into the promised land. 
you talk about the death of a vision. And so Moses continued to say, God, let me go in, let me go in, let me go in. And God said, you can't go in because you misrepresented me. So important was the picture that was going on there. The law would do exactly that. Moses represents the law. The law would strike you again and strike you again and strike you again. But God put his son and struck him. And through his death, our, we have been granted his righteousness because Jesus fulfilled the law. So now grace flows out from the rock. And so finally God said to Moses, don't speak about this anymore to me. We're done. You're not going in. He said, you can go up and look on the mountain. Look out into that. All that I'm going to give you, but you can't go in. You can't. And, and see, the thing that it didn't break fellowship with God for Moses. It built fellowship with God. Because at the end, when he finally goes in, when he finally is told by God, and he, he settles it in his heart. We read in Numbers, the Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of spirit, the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation. I'm not going in. But Lord, they need someone over them who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep without a shepherd. You see, what Moses had and gained through all this was a shepherd's heart for his people. And that came through difficulties, yet he stayed in fellowship with God. Paul the apostle was the same thing. In 2 Corinthians, the same thing. He had, God said, I'm not, I'm not going to answer that prayer. I'm not going to answer what you're asking for. I'm not going to do that. But it didn't break his fellowship with the Lord. It built it. And so Paul says, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. Paul was given so much by God. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger notice of Satan to buffet me. Lest I be exalted above man. Paul realized that his pride could easily destroy his fellowship with God. So concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times and it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient. Because my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Now, I'm not there. How about you guys? But Paul looks at these things that seem so wrong, so debilitating, so painful, so chronic, and he says, you know what? If it wasn't for those, I wouldn't know the grace of God like I know the grace of God. And you can talk to people who've gone through horrible things and they've come out in fellowship with God and they'll tell you the same thing. Would they wish it didn't happen? Of course. But because God allowed it, the depth of that relationship, Paul says, therefore, infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, he is strong. Have you found that? That's why I think it's a good thing to get old. You start realizing this old thing here called my body needs to be made new. I need a new body. How about you guys? It's just that we groan earnestly desiring to be delivered because we know the grace of God. You know, prayer may not change your circumstance, but let me tell you, it will change you. Difficulties may not change your, your circle, but they'll change you. 
We're going to do communion, so I'm going to get rested. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. God's telling Moses, I'm going to go with you. And because I'm with you, I want you to rest. I just want you to trust me, to rest my presence with you. I will give you rest. If your presence doesn't go with me, he said, then I'm not going. That's a good place to be. If we're going to have rest, we better know we're in the presence of God. We better know he's with us. And when we do know he's with us, we have rest. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor in heaven, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn to me, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. Someone said, the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. I'm really spiritual these days. <laughs> Physically, it's to just stop and come into that rest where we know God's taking care of it all. And God will take care of it all. And God will go before us and take care of us and watch over us. The Lord is gracious. So what we have here in this picture that we're seeing is God says, I'm going to put you on a rock. You stand by me. And then he's praying again, and he is standing with him. And then this revelation of the grace of God comes to him. And so it says there, you can't see my face and live. He says, a place by me, you shall stand on the rock. And then the Lord said to Moses, cut the two tablets of stone. So he says, Moses, cut two new ones. You broke the other ones, cut them. And I picture Moses getting up in that morning. He's got those two tablets. He's already had that time with the Lord one time up in the mountain. And he gets to do it again. And there he has the tablets. And he's making his way up that mountain. What do you think is going through his mind? I have no idea. I've never been in that place. But Moses had been. And Moses is making the trek with humility and fear in his heart. And then God meets him there. And in that place, you stand by me on the rock. I'll stand with you right there, right now. And then it says, he declared the name of the Lord. And what did he find as far as the grace? He found merciful, mercy and grace. Mercy and then grace. He found long, well, let me just read it. The Lord God, merciful and gracious to you long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth for you. Keeping mercy for thousands, not all. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but not for everyone. By no means clearing the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. See, this grace is only found in repentance before God. In coming to God and letting him now be the person who can forgive and cleanse who only he can. And so he shows, so Moses made haste and bowed down to the earth. You can only imagine that. And yet I believe that we've experienced that. Many occasions in our lives where we realize God is merciful. God is gracious. God is long-suffering. God is kind. God forgives and, and he continues to forgive. Why? Because of Jesus. And so this morning we're going to take communion. And we're going to hold 
this cup has bread and juice, but it's a reminder of the very things we're talking about. It's the time, to, as often as you take the bread and drink the cup, so God wants to remind us of this all the time, all the time. Nothing's changed. God does not change. His work is complete. It's done, finished, finished. But we need to be reminded again that we will find grace to help in time of need, that we are saved by grace through faith, that we've been given this, this salvation by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. And this, as this ties into the idolatry thing of last week, we need to let God be who he is and receive him for who he is because when we don't, we're going to lose every time. Fellowship with him. As you, as you hold the emblems, as the worship team comes on, and just hold the emblems. Now, I want to, just a practical thing. The cup itself, if you haven't had those before, there's a cellophane piece on the top that you take off first because this has happened twice to me now. If you try and take them both off, you'll have juice all over your lap. So t and just hold the bread and then take the other. So as you receive those, you can just take those off. But here it is. The bread, as often as you take the bread and drink the cup, you do show his death until he comes. So as we're remembering and taking communion as the body of Christ, this is for the believer. We're looking back to what Jesus accomplished, finished. We're looking forward to him coming again. How many of you just say amen to that? And here we are. And God knows you and I need to be reminded that there's grace. There's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense on the cross. The Bible says, by his stripes we are healed. So as you hold those things, what does God want? What are you looking for God to heal in your life, to make whole? Who's a person on your heart that you're saying, God, they're lost and going to hell. Who is that? Pray. Bring them to God right now, right now. Because on that night that Jesus was betrayed, he took this bread and this cup. And we'll, we'll, I'll lead us through this. After you see him, just hold them. We'll, start, we'll sing this song. And this song came to mind. I asked Sophia if she would sing it. Pass me not. Was Oh. Blessed Savior, yeah. Because what God said is, hey, you stand on that rock, stand by me, I'll stand with you. And I'm going to pass by you. And you see my afterglow. This song just sort of resonated with me. Pass me not, oh blessed Savior. And make this song sort of your prayers, I will mine as we hold the cup and we'll take it together.